Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church in Mullica Hill, New Jersey. We trust today's message will challenge you and move you closer to Christ. Here's pastor, teacher, and author, Phil Moser. Well, this is the week that we celebrate Thanksgiving, which means we remember uh, how thankful we are, and then we eat a lot, basically. As Americans, that's what we do. Um, And I was thinking this morning that sometimes Thanksgiving can be a little superficial. That is, we tell God we're thankful for the many blessings, the physical things that we have. And it's easy to do that in a world where you just turn on the news and you see wars happening and you see refugee children moving around. It's easy to think that we're blessed just because we have things. But maybe this Thanksgiving, you look at your things and that seems pretty superficial because there may be a brokenness in your life. There may be a deep sadness in your life. There may be something else. And you're saying, I'm not sure as I come to Thanksgiving that how I'm even going to be thankful. And so as we look at our unlikely heroes stories, today's story is going to help you with that. Because the person we want to look at this morning is Mary Magdalene. And when we look at her, I'd like to just take a passage and read it with you. And so just take uh, your Bibles, if you will, and go with me to John chapter 20. That's the resurrection account. It's the longest account we have of Mary Magdalene in the scriptures. And as we do that, will you just stand with me as we read through the scripture together? And I'm going to pick up the reading here at verse 11. And uh, this is what we read. Now Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stood, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had laid, and one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. And having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced or proclaimed to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Thank you for your respect for the word. You may be seated. There's three things I want you to note in Mary Magdalene's life, and here they are. If you want life-changing gratitude, the kind of gratitude that exists beyond your brokenness, beyond your sadness, then you're going to need to do three things. Reflect upon your brokenness, seek to fill your emptiness, face your personal sadness, okay? And Mary Magdalene demonstrates all three of these for us, and it's really, uh, it's really kind of an amazing expression of how someone goes through those moments and finds that she can still give thanks to the Lord and with a praiseworthy spirit. So let's talk about those. Here's the first one. Reflect upon your brokenness before you met Jesus, okay? You need to reflect upon your brokenness before you met Jesus, And let me see if I can unpack that for you. Remember how I said John 20 is the longest expression we have of Mary Magdalene. Her name only occurs, it occurs um, roughly a dozen times or so in the scriptures, but it occurs five times regarding the gospels at the crucifixion and five times at the resurrection. 
And the other time it occurs is in Luke chapter 8, verse 2, which is where we're introduced to her. And this is the only thing we really know about her, aside from her responsiveness to Jesus. In Luke chapter 8, verse 8, we read, in Luke chapter 8, verse 1, we read, soon afterward, he, that is Jesus, went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And the 12 were with him, that's the disciples, and also some woman whom he had healed of evil spirits and infirmities. Here it comes, Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. Now, now for just a moment, this is all we really know about her. Sometimes she's thought of to be the woman in Luke chapter 7, the passage that occurs, the woman who was involved in prostitution who came to the feet of Jesus prior to his crucifixion. Um, Most scholars believe they're not the same person, though they do have some similarities. They were both broken. Mary's only reference to her brokenness was the fact that she had seven demons in her. Now, let let me just unpack that for a moment for you. The Gospel Coalition says regarding demon possession, It is a term frequently used to translate this Greek term in the New Testament. This term describes a variety of conditions, watch this, physical, emotional, mental, psychological, for which the cause is identified as direct demonic influence. Now, for just a moment, um, you probably have never been demon-possessed in your life, okay? But I'm going to bet you know something like physical, emotional, um, mental, or psychological trauma in your life. And, 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 and so you and I have something in common with Mary Magdalene. She knew these moments. She had these experiences. In fact, in another passage, when we look in the scriptures back in Luke chapter 6, we find this description of what it was like to be possessed by an unclean spirit. This is r- really important. So just watch this. He came down with them and stood on a level place with a, crowd, a great crowd of disciples and a great multitude of people, verse 18, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. Now, that's the best description of what happened to Mary Magdalene. However she came face to face with Jesus, when that moment happened, power from him went out to her, and for the first time, seven demons just left her. Now, I want to unpack that word troubled, and I want to show you what it looks like, okay? So, um, where is Bradley and his brother? Come on up here real quick for me, guys, okay? Come up here real quick. Come on, Jackson. Hurry up. You'd think you were baptized or something this morning. Get up here, okay? Here we go. I just want to show you what it looks like to be troubled, okay? So, this is the first, okay? Now, just stand right there for me. And I need some people a little trouble in me, so come here real quick, okay? Come here, come here. Um, Let's see. I'm going to grab a couple of foreman boys. Come here real quick. And I need one or two others. Uh, Let's see. Um, Who's hanging on the edge down there? Yeah, come on up, come on up. Yeah, right there. You, you. Come on, come on, come on. Okay, I got some troublemakers here, okay? So, just imagine. Nobody sees, nobody sees uh, Jackson. You just see Bradley, all right? For just a moment, walk around him and trouble him, okay? Trouble him. Just walk around him and trouble him. Trouble him, trouble him, trouble him. That's not troubling. Push him around a little bit. Okay, there you go. Okay, there you go. Okay, now just imagine this is what it's like to be troubled because, let me introduce you to this word. This Greek word means that you are actually in, troubled means in the crowd. You're in a crowd of trouble, okay? So come on, uh, let me just do this real quick. Step over here for me. Okay, now really trouble him. Trouble him, trouble him. Push him around a little bit, okay? Okay, yeah, keep going, keep going, keep going. Everybody get in the the action, okay? And it's like there's nowhere to run. There's no place to go, right? Now, I'm going to step the demons back for just a second here, guys, okay? This is what it was like to be troubled, but here's what I want you to see. 
This word troubled is used one place else in the Bible, only twice in the whole Bible. Here regarding demons, and here in Hebrews chapter 12 regarding something that you and I face. Now just sit tight for this for a second. See too that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled, that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. Okay, now Jackson, stand right here for me real quick. Now, just imagine momentarily, this is you, okay? And these are the troubles. Walk around him, guys. Walk around, walk around, walk around. Keep troubling him. Keep troubling him. Jump in on the action here, okay? And one of these could be, one of these could be a root of bitterness. One of these could be um, a defilement. Keep going, keep going. You guys, you guys are not good troublers, okay? <laughs> Here's what I want you to see. Have you, keep going. I'm, I, while I'm talking, just keep troubling him, okay? <laughs> What I want you to understand is that in the middle of your life, this might be what life feels like to you. Over and over, keep going, keep going, keep going. Trouble doesn't stop, right? Your trouble doesn't stop no matter who's preaching or who's talking, it just keeps coming at you. A root of bitterness, something that happened to you in the past that kind of stirs up and grew something and now it grows, that form. Keep going, just keep going, okay? Defiled, it's the idea that the word is used elsewhere in the Bible to speak of your heart, mind or your conscience, that your mind just can't seem to get rid of those things. Sexually immoral is a Greek word, pornea. It's the idea that these desires that are so difficult, they just keep coming at you and coming at you and coming at you. They feel habitual. Unholy is the idea that you were separated from God in some way. Or how about this? Esau sold his birthright, which means he had deep regrets about something he did in his past that he just can't seem to get rid of. And what I want you to see is that what we're told to do is to not only look at those things, but to understand that we reflect upon our brokenness before Jesus. Now, here's what I want you to do. Imagine that this is Bradley. Keep troubling, keep troubling. This is what you've got to do. Keep going, keep going. Stay in it, stay in it. There you go. You've got to learn to look back and say, that's what I was, okay? But this is who I am. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, the new has come. That is who I was. This is who I am. Because I can't take away the memories of your past. God leaves some of those there so that you can look back and reflect and stand here and be thankful. And I'm just going to tell you, like, if you're struggling with being thankful, you got to look back just like Mary did at her brokenness, what it was like to be troubled. You are no longer there you are here, okay? And so that's how you begin to develop a grateful spirit. Don't look back and say, if only, if only, if only. Look back and say, that's where I was. This is who I am, right? And that's how you get to a deeper sense of gratitude. Thanks, troublemakers. You can go be seated. You guys are great. I just want you to visibly see this, right? That you and I must reflect upon our brokenness before Jesus. This is what Mary knew. She could remember what it was like to be troubled. Not only that, you need to seek to fill your emptiness with the love of Jesus. This is what, one of the things that sets Mary Magdalene apart from a, a lot of people in Scripture, including most of the apostles, is that she didn't just get emptied of seven spirits, but she filled that with the love of Jesus. In fact, a really kind of a fascinating way to look at that 
is to look at what happens in Matthew chapter 12. Jesus' teaching there says, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest, but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. That is, Mary Magdalene, was cast, the demons were cast out of her by Jesus. And when it comes to... When it comes, he finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with him, just say it with me, what? Seven other spirits. Have you seen that before? Right. More evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. Now, just imagine momentarily Mary Magdalene's struggle and frustration. She thought she was rid of them, and they would come back. She thought she was rid of them, they would come back. And here's what happens. You just don't empty the house. You fill it with something so that when they come back, they're not welcome there. It's not a residence without anybody living in it. It's a residence with the Holy Spirit living in it. And this is really interesting because I want to ask you a question and do a real quick comparison between two characters in the Bible, Mary Magdalene and Peter. And I want to answer this question, which one understood the love of Jesus best? Okay. Which one understood the love of Jesus best? Not which one loved Jesus more. We already know Mary beat Peter out on that because Jesus kept saying to Peter at the end of his life, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? He never has to ask Mary that question because Mary understood how much Jesus had loved her. Right? Let me draw a couple of comparisons. Peter slept in the garden. Right? Remember that? Jesus said, hey, here's the thing. Um, will you pray with me? And the disciples all fall asleep. Okay. Now, before you're too critical of them, know that that might be your challenge too if you prayed for more than, uh, if you prayed for more than 30 minutes, you might struggle to stay awake as well. Uh, Peter slept in the garden, but Mary stayed in the garden. Remember, she came to the garden at the point of the resurrection looking to see if she could anoint the body of Jesus. And when the body wasn't there, she came back again. She's the only one, only character in the Bible to do that. Here's the other idea. Peter denied Jesus, right? And yet when Jesus says to Mary, Mary, go and proclaim me to the disciples, she immediately goes and proclaims that Jesus is alive to the disciples. One denies, one proclaims. Or how about this one? Peter fled from the cross. He's not there. Okay. Mary Magdalene came to the cross. She was there. Or how about this one? Peter left the tomb without understanding. Remember, he and John ran to the tomb. John looked in and saw the wrappings where they were, and he believed, but Peter left confused. Okay. Not so with Mary. She returned to the tomb to understand. That's why she comes back the second time. And when she comes back the second time, she talks to Jesus. And lo and behold, she understands that he's risen. She is the first person, the first person to see the risen Christ. And I just want to remind you of this for a second. That's really amazing. And it's probably a result of God in his mercy saying, no one understood how much I loved them as much as Mary Magdalene. Seek to fill your emptiness with the love of Jesus. Here's your third one. Face your personal sadness with the mercy of Jesus. Face your personal sadness with the mercy of Jesus. There, there's several things that Jesus' mercy does for us here. And I, I just want to take you back to that passage in John chapter 20 and unpack for you some things Mary Magdalene has. And my hope is that this Thanksgiving, you won't simply come to the table. I think it's great that you're thankful for the blessings God's provided or some of the things he did in your life this past year. I think that's great. But I would pray that we would do something deeper than that. If you come to the table and you're sad, life is hard, 
that you can understand through your sadness how the mercy of Jesus is still ministering even while you're sad. There's probably places at the Thanksgiving table this year that will be empty. Happens every year. But maybe it's at your table where it's happening this year. Somebody who was there last year, an aunt, an uncle, a mother, a father, a husband, a wife, they're not there this year. And I just want to remind you that the Christian has this remarkable ability, John Piper says, to be both joyful at the highest level because of what's coming for us and sad at the lowest level because of the world in which we live and the pain of death that we see. The world can't experience either of those extremes. The Christian can Because we look at the world and, and can say it, it's just not going to get better. It, we realize that the depth of difficulty and sin and hate and hurt in the world is extreme and difficult. And it's a result of what's going on in people's hearts. And it's not going to improve right now. Face your personal sadness with the mercy of Jesus. Let me show you that in her life. Here we go. Jesus' mercy helps those overwhelmed in their grief. That's right. Jesus' mercy helps those overwhelmed in their grief. It helps those. In fact, just let me introduce you to that in a text in John chapter 20, verse 11. We see Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and she wept as she stepped into the tomb. In verse 13, they said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Okay. Over and over again, she's asked this question, why are you weeping? She just wasn't kind of holding it in. Um, This is a word that speaks of visible, physical lament. She was sobbing. She was wailing. She was hurting. And she didn't try to hide it. There's a great application for all of us there. If someone comes to you this morning and they say, how's your day? And you say, great, but it's not. Okay. Um, We do well if we probably did a little bit better confrontation there. Okay. Like, really? Are you a liar? Okay. Like, are you lying about how hard life is right now? Because I want to show you something that the mercy of God is available to Mary Magdalene because she's not faking it. Okay. She's not acting like everything's okay. The gardener, she perceives Jesus to be the gardener in the garden there, maybe with the morning mist coming in or something. She looks up and he says, Why are you weeping? She doesn't say, Me? I'm not crying. I'm not crying. She doesn't even try to hide it. Jesus' mercy helps those who are overwhelmed in grief. And I just want to remind you, in this world, you're going to be overwhelmed in grief. You're going to be overwhelmed. And there's nothing wrong with admitting that. Maybe the church would be a safer place if we could actually say that. Just say it. It's a hard week. It's a hard year. Somebody's missing at my Thanksgiving table, you might say. Whatever you're going to say, just say it. Because I want to show you that how Jesus responds to Mary isn't to say to her, Mary, get over it. Okay. Mary, look around. You've got a lot more than somebody else has in another part of the world. Nope. He acknowledges her weeping. He just says it. Jesus' mercy is available to those aware of their need. Jesus' mercy is available to those aware of their need. You heard this morning, um, people 
share their stories about how they met Jesus. And you also heard them say, when they told you how they met Jesus, something to the effect of, I was a sinner, or I still struggle to sin, or I know I'm going to keep sinning. Uh, They acknowledge that the world in which we live, they are aware of their need. They needed a savior. That's one of the great dangers, just hear this, that's one of the great dangers of the world in which we live that starts to redefine things not as sin according to the scriptures is that if you can redefine everything not as sin, then what need do you have of a savior? I just want you to see the satanic influence of that for a second. If we redefine everything not as sin, then we don't need a savior who saves us from our sin. But if we acknowledge that we have sinful issues in our lives, then we need a savior. And and I love this because momentarily understand, I did not hear one baptismal testimony where they said, listen, you're sinners. Okay, you with me? They said, we were sinners. And that's the position you have to start with. Jesus' mercy is available to those in need. Now, let me show you this in just a way in the scriptures you might not have noticed before. The text actually says that when she came to the tomb, and it only records this in Mary, the angels are elsewhere in the other accounts, but when Mary comes, she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had laid, one on the head and one at the feet. And the artist renders it like this. It might have looked something like this. There's two angelic beings there. She has a conversation with them. One is on this end, one is on this end. Now, if you know the Bible at all, you know two angels, one on this side and one on this side, could look like this, right? Right. Something we call the mercy seat, that space over the Ark of the Covenant, where once a year, the priest would come in on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, and sprinkle blood on that spot so that it would symbolize the idea that the sins of the nation were paid for. Now, go back and see this again. This is what Mary sees. This is what the Bible shows, which means it's pretty cool to think about it this way. That shelf where Jesus was laying, it's like God is saying, guess what? There's a new mercy seat, and it's through Jesus for sinners. It's through Jesus for sinners. And that's why we say this, that Jesus' mercy is available to those aware of their need. You come to Christ first by saying, not I hope to be good enough, but by acknowledging you are a sinner and you need a savior. There's one final thought, and I love this. Look at our last idea. Jesus' mercy assures us our sadness is only temporary, okay? Jesus' mercy assures us our sadness is only temporary. Mary comes running to him. She falls down at his feet. She grabs his feet, and Jesus makes this statement. She says, he says, do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them. In other words, go to the disciples and tell them that I'm going to ascend, so I need to connect with them. They, they need to come seek me. I need to find them. I, I need to talk to them. Go and tell them I'm alive. And Jesus says, I'm ascending to my Father, and watch this. Here's how we know it's not temporary. And to your Father, to my God, and to your God. When a person comes to faith in Christ, when they come and say, wow, Jesus did that for me, and then he rose from the dead to prove that he had done that for me, when they do that, they're saying, okay, I'm restored in my relationship with the Father, and therefore, any suffering that is here is indeed temporary, okay, is indeed temporary. And and sometimes we downplay the nature of it um, as if it's only physical suffering that we face here. Just for a moment, understand that. 
It's not just physical suffering we face here. It's all of that other stuff, spiritual, mental, psychological. It's those kinds of issues that are working in our heart that we face here as repeated suffering. And I remember that because um, Johnny Erickson Tata, uh, paraplegic her entire life, since high school forward, almost her entire life, but trusting God through the process of suffering, was once speaking to children. And the children said to her, um, listen, I drew a picture of you running because that's what it's going to be like in heaven for you, right? And Johnny Erickson Tata writes so eloquently, she said, it'll be nice to run again, but I'm really looking forward to, over, not, to no longer having to fight my struggles with sin that I have here more than running again. Okay. What she said is, listen, the physical thing matters, but man, it's going to be nice to know that my suffering, my difficulty here, I'm given freedom from. And that's why we should come to this Thanksgiving, like Mary Magdalene, completely thankful. In fact, here they are, just one more time. When you come to the Thanksgiving table, if you can't think of anything and you want life-changing gratitude, reflect upon your brokenness before you met Jesus, okay? Seek to fill your emptiness with the love of Jesus. Just ponder. Just go around the table this Thanksgiving and say something like this. How do we know Jesus loves us? Let's just, let's just review that, okay? In what ways do we know that Jesus loves us? Or how about this? You can face your personal sadness with the mercy of Jesus knowing that that sadness is only temporary. It's only temporary. There's one final thought, and I just noticed it in the text. In that John 20 passage... Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus, maybe because of the mist, maybe because it was still dark out. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Now, just for a moment, understand her grief. She had just seen Jesus crucified in a way that was that just must have blown everybody who was a follower out of the water. Like, how would someone who was so good, so special, so perfect, be accused of rebellion in such a way that he would earn the death penalty? And so you got to think, everybody was saying, that is the hugest travesty of justice we can possibly imagine or ever seen. But it's not just that. It's not just that. Now she comes to the grave and now thinks even the body has been desecrated. So she's overwhelmed with sadness. And look what Jesus says. All he said to her was, Mary. That's it. And the moment he spoke her name, she immediately knew who he was. It's only here in the Bible that this occurrence happens. Um, Peter had to be told while he was fishing in the middle of the sea, hey, that's the Savior, that's Jesus, he's, that's, the, that's the Lord, he, he's on the shore. And then Jesus, Peter jumps overboard and swims to shore. People have to recognize him, but not so. Mary has the privilege of him just saying, calling her name and, him, and her knowing that it is Jesus. It's beautiful. Because it tells us that Jesus himself is interested in a personal relationship with you, like a first-name basis with you, a first-name basis. You heard Justin invite you to trust Christ. I, I would pray that that was what happened this morning for you. But I just want to remind you, this is the Savior. This is the one who you can look back at your brokenness before him, 
you can recognize that all the emptiness you felt internally is filled with the love of Christ, and you can even face your personal sadness and still worship Christ because of the mercy of Jesus. We're going to invite our worship team to come, and they're going to sing us out this morning as we think about who Christ is and what he did. And I just want to encourage you, give thanks for the fact that he's coming again, for the fact that we'll see him face to face, for the fact that this life with its difficulties isn't the end. Um, Sing with your whole heart as we worship him. Father, it's been a privilege to look to your word this morning, to be reminded that there are truths here that are helpful for us as we come to the Thanksgiving table, maybe alone this Thanksgiving, Um, maybe with regrets, maybe with wishing life were different, maybe with fears and anxieties, maybe with troubles that just seem to keep circulating around us. But may we remember that what we have in you is so much more valuable. It's the pearl of great price. It is the, it's the treasure that we so long to know and have. Help us give thanks for who you are in our life and for your great love for us. In Jesus' name, amen. We trust you've been encouraged by today's lesson. For resources to help you move forward in Christ, we invite you to check out our website, aboutfbc.org, or our Facebook page, Fellowship Bible, Mullica Hill.